Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the 98 Podcast. I am your host, Kieran, and today we're going to be talking about artificial intelligence, the tech industry, how far it's come, how far it might go, and what that means for us as human beings. My guest today is Justin. He's a graduate from the University of San Francisco, where he received his BS in entrepreneurship and innovation. He is a Silicon Valley native and is currently working on B2B tech sales. We'll learn a little bit more about that a little later. Lastly, Justin hopes to give TED Talks in the future. Uh, for more information about Justin and today's topic, please follow us at Instagram at 98.podcast and at underscore hey, it's J-U-J-U-1. Welcome to the show, Justin. Hello, good to, pleasure to be on here. Thank you so much for inviting me on and being on the show with you. Yeah, no, awesome. Thank you for being here. Um, so before we begin, just a quick disclaimer. Everything we're sharing here is based off of our life experiences and education. We're here to give you an honest response to today's topic. So let's get started. So I just want to start off by um, introducing you a little further. If you can kind of give our audience some more in-depth information about, you know, you studying at USF, because a lot of our listeners tend to be USF students. So um, why did you study entrepreneurship and innovation at USF, Justin? That's a good question. So um, it actually started back when I was in high school. And um, like, um, I get this question a lot of Mm -hmm. most of the time when I'm um, interviewing for sales roles as well. Mm -hmm. And the foundation really started out when I was a freshman in high school, I ran an e commerce platform online through eBay. Oh, and it started. Oh, yeah, it started out pretty simplified. Um, it was pretty straightforward. Like, I believe from what I remember back in 2011, my older sister, who's who was about a junior in high school at the time, she was about to get rid of her old textbooks and she was going to throw them away. Mm-hmm. And um, I saw them and I was like, hey, why not? Like, I put two and two together because I was buying my own when I was starting and I was like, you know what? Why not? Like, mm-hmm. why not try selling it online, create mm-hmm. my own account? um link my um link a paypal account to it start that up and sell them and little did i know is that all of them sold um all of them were gone within um within the few days when i was when i listed them to my knowledge i was like i'm onto something here like this is as small and as quirky as it might sound i got that inspiration to like what if like right after i sold all the book all those textbooks i was like why not move into something more popular more trendy at the time and this is about 2011 2012 or so and i went into out of everything that you could think of like the one item and one of the industries per se that i kind of got really into and this is really random when Mm i when i really look back at it now but it was precious metals out of everything Mm -hmm. and because at the time this was about 2012 or so Mm -hmm. like it was one of the most trending things at the time was commodities because there was like a slight downturn in the economy or so and then like mm-hmm. precious metals like silver gold you might have remembered like yeah. their silver itself was like $50 an ounce or so mm-hmm. like around that time so I was able to start my own platform on there of like it really came down to just being able to buy and sell trade um build out a network um 2012 I got a top rated seller status badge whoa and it, yeah <laughs> it was pretty it was pretty sick to um uh-huh. to start this out and um, I believe it was about, I got 600 positive feedbacks from being a seller. Um, it was about, I think 15, 15 K in sales. Like the numbers were outrageous and, um, yeah. And I had 
a network of customers from all over the world, a network of people who I traded with from um, from all over the world. Like I, I had customers in Russia, Europe. Um, I think I had a few in South America, Africa. And that's what got me in the beginning to study business further. But after high school, like I actually like didn't go to USF my freshman year. Um, mm. I went to SF State and I studied management and I was like, this was not what I was looking for. And mm-hmm. I found USS program um, and it was, I wanted to stay in San Francisco. I didn't want to go back down to anywhere else because it's a, because you can't go wrong with living in a city. The city's mm-hmm. awesome. Isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And um, found USF. I transferred in my sophomore year. They took me in um, and it just became a story from there. And it's oh. been one hell of an amazing ride. Wow, dang. Oh my gosh. I'm just trying to like look back to 2012. Like what was I doing? I was literally just watching anime and you were like doing sales and like already kickstarting your career. Like that's amazing to think about. (laughs) That was so long ago too. Yeah, it's like I never really thought it would have that much of an impact on my future, but it was Mm a, it was, it was my core topic on what I used. Um, I'll throw you back a little bit too. And when I was writing my comment app essays, dang whoa i know a bet (laughs) kind of going off of that like what were you hoping to accomplish with your like new degree kind of like being at usf and everything like what were you hoping to do yes um Mm -hmm. yeah so like essentially what happened like when i went to usf was um within the program itself um definitely learns the ins learn the ins and outs of not only business but entrepreneurship overall um like I would like as much as I um as I had a fun time there and the experience was awesome like it was like I would love to give everything and just to go back to those three years that I had there um Mm -hmm. it was like how would I explain it like I've it's Mm -hmm. like I was hoping like when I first started out like maybe do my own thing maybe have uh, my own storefront going uh, maybe have Mm -hmm. Um, maybe like see where I could take this e-commerce platform that I developed, um, back in high school and see where I could, see where I could move forward with it. But Mm -hmm. when I started out there and then when I started moving into, um, my coursework, I noticed like the tech industry. I noticed like, um, Mm -hmm. I noticed the ins and outs of, um, of the, of the tech industry overall, because I was like the biggest thing. We we're in the Silicon Valley. That's where, especially mm-hmm. my final semester when I was there, I worked at an e-commerce platform as an inter- as an intern, and it was still like a startup. Um, and mm-hmm. it was, um, but that really developed my interest in going further into working in the tech industry overall, and mm-hmm. um, and that's what really drove me forward into working into a career in sales and. Um, and when I graduated, the door was open-ended. Like I really didn't, like it's, it started out to like a finite minute point of where I was looking to work. But then as the time went on, I was more general and more open in, in that tech and within the tech industry. And that's how I landed my first job at, um, working Mm -hmm. as a business development rep at Sigma Computing. Mm. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. Um, and then kind of going off of that, what are you working on now? Like, what are you up to in 2020? Yeah. Um, in between the time that I started working there, that was my first job right out of college. And because um, mm-hmm. I graduated in 2019, um, a lot has happened, like, since since I left out of USF one last time. And 
um, to where we are now, mm-hmm. like, especially in 2019, like, I don't want to brag about this, but 2019 was also my height of my traveling career. Like, I went to 18 countries. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, I saw your Instagram, like, dang, you were living the life. <laughs> yeah, I never really thought I'd go see those be- travel around the world like that before, yeah. of course, COVID hitting. And then next mm-hmm. thing I know is that I'm found, um, I found my first job in the business intelligence um, sub-industry of, sub in the sub-industry of the tech industry overall. And um, worked there for about seven months or so before leaving. And um, and now what I'm up to is, um, like, is definitely getting into more of the digital marketing space and going up the funnel of the sales mm-hmm. funnel. And um, are you familiar with how that works by chance? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> interestingly enough, like... Um, we have a mutual friend, Illyria, right? Mm-hmm. And I, that's like all we talk about in marketing when we're like talking to each other too, like the marketing funnel, sales funnel, like all of that. So yeah, definitely. Yeah, that was like one of the biggest, that was um, one of the drawbacks of from going to USF. Like I never really learned that. I had to learn that on the go in my first job. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like there, it's definitely in the textbooks, but it's not something that is emphasized like i don't because i'm a marketing major so we were taught this like pretty much pretty in-depth kind of um besides like the four p's and knowing your target audience they were like you got to know the funnel but it's not like emphasized in other majors that's what i've been told at least yeah like um because those um that was mainly focused towards it's it felt more like a b2c than the b2c sales model but then the Mm -hmm. b2b model when I um, landed my first job, that was different. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. like, yeah. Yeah, like, um, it was, like, it almost, like, I had to learn it on the go of, like, this is, mm-hmm. um, like, you don't really have, like, a target audience of who you're trying to go after. You, ha- you have your power users. You have your decision makers. You have your mm-hmm. recommenders. And it's, like, when I first started, I was like, "What? What, are, what is the sales terminology like?" I had to take like a side course on it, and I was like, "Wait, this is yeah, <laughs> yeah, like this is all colloquial. Like I've never learned anything like this before." Yeah, I, I would. I just want to hop in and just say like, there are so many terms that like I feel like I would read in textbooks, and I was like, I don't know what this means, like or not pay attention, and then it's it's like the lingo in the industry is just so like you're you can't be successful if you don't know what they're talking about and it's just like you really need to spend time like understanding just i don't know like whatever that industry talking terms are i guess like you know so yeah i get you (laughs) (laughs) yeah like um yeah it was definitely like the um like the upside like we like um it was just learning that sales funnel going down and using like the frameworks of like mm-hmm. bands um, you might have heard of mm-hmm. by chance since you're marketing. Mm-hmm. The yeah. band framework, MedPick, Medic, um, and your close mm-hmm. rate, your close win, close lost, um, your mid funnel, trying to get a uh, top of funnel ads to mid funnel to um, to passing mm-hmm. off leads to the sales team. You're speaking my language. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, like, surprisingly, like, I learned that all on the go, and, like, I learned the majority of that on the go, like, post-USF, mm-hmm. and it was, like, th- like if I had to go back, supposedly there are courses on that at USF, and if you are listening to this, yeah. like, if you're still there, I recommend, I highly recommend taking a course based around sales strategies and sales metrics, but... Mm-hmm. 
but one of the but like just to lay some groundwork on what I ran into um mm -hmm. when I was not only there um within the within my first job when I was there but also like just to lay some just to lay a foundation of like and since you already kind of have like an understanding of like what it was and what I ran into mm -hmm. so you might have heard of the terminologies of like what a SaaS is a SaaS platform um software as a service maybe oh okay okay yes 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 yeah software as a service you might have heard of it like salesforce yeah um yeah yeah like um and then you have you heard of ias infrastructure as a service yes i don't know the acronyms but i i swear like <laughs> that's where it's like you got to know the acronyms like you might actually understand the concept or what it is but then it's like people just use the acronyms man like i'm i get confused but yes yes i do <laughs> Yeah, and then you have, like, Plast, too, uh, Platform as a Service as well. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, so, like, the startups that I ran into, and, like, this is going to be, like, the overall argument that I'm, and overall problem that I ran into, was mainly in the SaaS space. And, um, mm -hmm. and especially in the B2B model. Um, like, I remember when I was back at school, people were talking about how, um, like, cryptocurrency is going to be the next big thing. Um, like, mm -hmm. um, like these, in these sub industries within tech, within the tech industry overall was going to be like, um, like, especially cryptocurrency, blockchain, like blockchain is mm -hmm. specific, is, is getting big. It's still, it's one of the biggest things out there right now in the tech industry. But one of the things that I saw and, um, one of the biggest, one of the hottest areas that I saw was essentially, um, just mm -hmm. automating everything. Like, mm -hmm. look at the workflows, look at the workflows for any kind of position, any kind of role out there, any kind of job out there, just automate it. And it's possible. Like, just just have an AI do it for you. Any kind of manual labor, any kind of, like, manual input or kind of, any kind of, like, manual, any kind of, any form of manual labor, labor, labor overall, just replace it with an AI algorithm. And that's the future of where technology, under from what I've seen and from what I've, and from what I've experienced, into into what the future is of the tech industry overall. I I know we've talked about this, but that's kind of scary. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I know we're gonna go into like more depth about it as a problem overall and what that means for you know people listening or just like overall for society. But um, did you want to mention anything else about like? the b2c model versus like the b2b because I, I wanted to ask you to kind of clarify for anyone who has no business background what is b2b versus like b2c like what do what does the b even stand for what does the c stand for yeah like definitely on a high level i'd love to um re-clarify that um yeah because there's a it's a huge it's a massive difference between the two yeah so like b2c um that's business to consumer um mm -hmm. and that's like in a sales model, like typically in a B2C model, what you do is you typically like go to a store or you go to an e-commerce platform, buy what you need, and it'll be sent over to you. Maybe do some research beforehand, maybe maybe spend about a few weeks, but then it's mainly just like off the shelf or um, just like walking to the store, go, go to a checkout stand, buy what you need, and you're done. B2B though, mm -hmm. on the other hand, is a little different. And... Um, I'll back up a little bit too. B to C, um, you might have seen like um, like the marketing strategies are a little bit different. Like you'll get commercials, you get top of funnel ads. Um, yeah. Yeah, you'll get like um, newsletters in the mail, some in the email sometimes. Yeah. 
yeah like high exposure kind of stuff like they're just trying to get their thing out there yeah and it's almost like an upside down sales funnel to where you have like a yeah. small marketing team but you're trying to encompass an entire target audience overall mm-hmm. in a b2b though that's a, that's more of a, at like a high level i could definitely go into more of the technical capabilities behind yeah. that because of time of course but yeah in a b2b it's a funnel like and it's like it's more your it's more strategic on who you're trying to go after because like very rarely of course you'll see like a commercial on tv from or a commercial on youtube or anything or even on the radio of a b2b business like maybe salesforce yeah. would have one um or like somebody that's well established at least would have Mm-hmm. that or would have like that form of a marketing campaign because of where they are uh, market share wise but mm-hmm. it, the, the uh, marketing campaigns are way more strategic than in a b2c model and um that's where cold calling comes in that's where cold email comes in cold emailing comes in um linkedin messaging and everything mm-hmm. is more strategic towards either what's called the decision maker like a decision maker would be like a person who makes decisions like the high level exec who wants to um, buy applications for their team and if you can't Mm -hmm. get through to them because those people are getting slammed by messages left and right like if like it makes sense Mm -hmm. because they're the ones making decisions for their team and you have all these salespeople reaching out to them saying like buy our product buy our product this is what we do this is how we differentiate ourselves but let alone it's like if you put that logic together it's like they're getting slammed left and right by a by um by salespeople left and right so what do you do you go to the you go to the recommender level you probably go to like the senior manager next if the if you get blown off by the decision maker so mm-hmm. you start off your um then that's when you start off your cold calling them and that's when you start to cold call them cold emailing cold messaging anything to get through the to them to set the meeting so you could actually use a balance point and a credibility point to move up to to the decision maker level and if that doesn't work very rarely, but you do this sometimes is um, like, I've never really seen a sales team do this is to go in a B2B model was to go to the back end user, like that entry level analyst or that entry level mm-hmm. IT guy, like, because mm-hmm. they're just an employee and they're just, they don't have any say in what kind of applications they use. It's just almost like handed. It's almost like it's handed to them. So, right. so like when you're, and, um, and the other big differentiator that I'd like to say is like in a B2C model, like it's, it's depending on what industry you go to, it's relatively easier to, en- it's relatively easier to enter. Like mm-hmm. if you're entering the industry, like the, um, depending on where you go, the costs are low. Um, they're relatively lower than in a B2B model. Um, and you at least have some form of customer base without, or having little to no credibility overall. But in a B2B model, like not only that you need credibility and not only when you're starting out what you need is some sort Mm -hmm. of credibility like unless if like i've never really ran into a b2b company that had um that started out with like no credibility whatsoever and i'll explain Mm -hmm. this i'm just i'll i'll go into this a little further um because that sounds pretty ridiculous though but um Mm -hmm. when you first hear that but it's like when you start out you need that credibility aspect is that's like one of the foundations to starting out because when you, mm-hmm. when you sell into these SMBs or mid market or enterprise companies, it's not only that when they make that decision to close with you, to buy you um, essentially, 
these people's careers are on the line. These people's futures mm-hmm. are on their line. So if they buy that wrong application you're selling to them, or if the application goes faulty and it's like, or that item that they, or that um, program that they buy from you is faulty or it's absolute like garbage and not what they thought it was going to be, they could lose their jobs. Like they could lose their career. Like they're out the door mm-hmm. and there's so much more on the line than just buying something, um, than just buying something off the shelf. Like, mm-hmm. like, and plus usually in a B2B model too, you're, you have like a high, um, you have like a long-term contract at a high cost to purchase. So the mm-hmm. way that you can get around that though, and most likely you'll see this in almost every B2B company is establishing mm-hmm. some sort of partnership, some sort of strategic partnership with an established enterprise or mid-market or even a, a late-stage startup to have some mm-hmm. kind of strategic partnership of to have some kind of strategic partnership there in place. So what that does is it gives you credibility that like, oh, this company doesn't really back you, but it says it endorses you or you're working with them. Oh, so it established yeah, it establishes some sort of relationship that this kind of works. Like it it's it's valid. It's not a scam or anything or it's not a mm-hmm. faulty product so that's one of the biggest ways that you could get around that plus um if you can't go that route the only way that i can really think of is if you start off low and if you start off selling low to like um late state and to early stage startups you you sell low to them and then you grow with them over time to get those case studies in, to get those reviews in to get mm-hmm. those um to build that credibility that way and when you have those case studies mm-hmm. going you have those reviews going you essentially those startups are hopefully would either get acquired or they would essentially grow into like a well-established into an established company overall um and Mm -hmm. on a high level and more of a high level term yeah awesome awesome um yeah and then kind of moving on like i know you've briefly mentioned kind of like what happens when you know technology is being developed and grow like is grown at such a like increasing rate so like what problem if you can reiterate like what problem are you noticing will occur as techno technology continues to grow and how how is it becoming problematic yeah um and i I didn't really run into this at sigma it actually came in after um when i left Mm -hmm. and because i got slammed literally left and right with recruiters so Mm -hmm. um what I noticed, though, was, like, a lot of those companies that I was interviewing with were aimed at towards further automating your workflow within the workspace itself. And one of the companies that I ran into, I believe I was, in, like, this It sounds like, this almost sounds too futuristic to understand or to even, like, to even visualize <laughs> this. But, like, I was interviewing for... Um, it was a dashboard company. I forgot their name. I think that's what they did. They, t- they did some kind of IT dashboards. But usually what you do before the interview process or when you're in the middle of an interview process, um, like usually what you do to prepare, of course, is to navigate the company, see the execs, read their LinkedIn's, um, see their prior experience, see their, where they're coming from. And specifically, one of the things that caught my eye was in this IT, when I was interviewing for this company, this IT dashboard company, I ran across, I think it was like the VP of operations or something, and I was reading their bio, and their main job itself was 
like working as VP of operations at this IT at this IT dashboard place. But then I was reading their secondary hobbies and their secondary roles that they're doing, that they're pursuing further on the side. And one of them was like, it just sounds too futuristic to believe, but from the way that technology is going, it is possible. And that was automating the cold calling process. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, like it's it sounds too futuristic to understand it because I was like, wait, automated cold calling. And like I even went out of my way of the interview process itself. I, ha- I had to message him on LinkedIn. I was like, dude, like I got to see how this works. Like I got to at least see some kind of pseudocode at least. Yeah. And I want to see at least like a demo of how you guys are building this out or like how this would work if I was a user. Mm-hmm. And his response, absolutely not. <laughs> wow. Yeah, actually, he, um, what happened was that he was like, yeah, I'd love to show how it works. Um, let's hop on a call, um, like on a brief call. Why not? Yeah. So um, he said on a high level, though, he was saying like um, they're still developing the back end of the software. Yeah. So the back end of the software, are you familiar with back end and front end engineering? Um, probably the basics, but not really. No, it's not my forte. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like back end engineering is more like um, you're developing like what the core of the product does or software does. Okay. But then the front end is almost like the user interface for the consumer. So like, um, oh. perfect. Ex- yeah, like the perfect example would be um, something as simple as like, let's say a... Um, could you do something like Netflix where like there's probably like a lot of back end engineering that's going on, but like what the user experience yeah, would be ex- like it differs? Yeah, exactly. It would be like um like the algorithm saying about like your recommended of mm-hmm. your prior watch history. Yeah. But then that would be like your back end, getting that algorithm of like what is your recommended um right. recommended shows to watch. But then your front end would be like the display of it for the consumer. Mm, okay yeah so like when i was on the call with him he was saying like um yeah that's like more on a high level though but when i was on a call with him he was like showing that they're still developing out the back end but what it mainly is it's like it's like imagine like a phone call between you and one of your friends but it's not exactly you and it's not really you it's it's an algorithm it's a robot that's so creepy yeah Yeah, and, like, the technology kind of already exists. Like, of course, like, if you fill up your prescription or something at CVS, you're going to get an automated call saying, like, your prescription's ready. It's ready for pickup. Uh, Yeah, yeah, that's, like, that's more of, like, on the basics level. But Mm -hmm. what they're doing for this project um, on that he's working on is that they want to take it a step further to where that conversation just sounds natural. And it just sounds very human-like, like like an AI, but you can't really differentiate if it's a human or not. Right. Cause I yeah. think, oh, sorry. I was just going to say, like, oh, I've seen yeah. some weird demos, too, of, like, I think there's, like, apps where if you talk into it, like, it'll try to get familiar with your voice, and then you can later type things in, and it, it'll sound just like you. So mm-hmm. I, I feel like I've had exposure to it, but you never think it's going to get there that quickly. But from what you're saying, it's already here. <laughs> so Yeah, it's it's uh, yeah, it's already here. That creates, that creates a massive problem because... You could really wipe out a ton of jobs with that. Yeah. Like if your job involves cold calling mm-hmm. and if you have this algorithm in place where 
if your BDR or SDR job mainly evolves around building up um, by mainly like doing cold calls, that could replace it. Right. Yeah, that could like, mm. that could replace the need to hop on a phone and on a phone and to hop on a phone call with a lead that you have. What this could do, you could draw like in the code that he was talking and not exactly in the code, but in the more of the pseudo code at a high level of how this works. He was talking about how you have like a word bank and you set the parameters to the call and it's like a loose ended phone call and it's like a loose ended like lines of code how would I describe it like more of a high level it's like more loosely ended of conversation so Mm -hmm. if it doesn't meet these qualifying points the phone call just the phone call comes to an end but the call the format of the call of the call scripts that they're building out it's almost like a regular cold call of the way that they're built of the way that they want to have this automated cold calling work Uh it's yeah (laughs) yeah yeah, and they said they're about, they're not really close to launching just yet. They'd probably say about three, maybe three-ish years away because they still need to develop the front end. But when that develops, it's like, you, like you're going to lose, you're going to wipe out part of the, like, a, a portion of the workforce. Yeah. Like, my yeah. prediction, though, yeah, like, my prediction, though, what's probably going to happen is that they're going to, they may work concurrently or they make may, uh, it may be more of, like, a, coexisting uh, workplace where you have the employees working with the AI on the side, but then you could further develop that into a one employee overseeing five different AI algorithms right? because the technology could be perfected to that point. Yeah. No, I just wanted, I was just thinking about this too, like how it's kind of already happening, you know, like I know we've talked about this, but it was kind of like, like the example of McDonald's and how, they're already installing these huge like tablets or like iPads in their um, in their restaurants where like you don't have to actually go to the register to order your meal or you can just order it on a tablet and it'll just kind of like, you know, your order will be like rung up and everything like it's already happening, but to certain different levels. And like I've also just already seen, you know, when I'm on a website too. And usually you would get like customer service responses like, oh, you can ask this a question and they're already using AI and like different algorithms to generate preset responses based off of what your concern is. So it's like, like, I I feel like it was all around us and it's like very obvious, but unless you're actually working in the industry, you don't see it to the level that you're explaining it at, you know, where it's like, yo, it's coming for your job. (laughs) Like, prepare (laughs) yourself. Yeah, like, um. It's like because as you're mentioning before too with the McDonald's screens and those um, and even online ordering, you want to place an order at a restaurant that reduces the scalability to to have the hire and to essentially need to hire more waiters and more wait staff, right. more hostess to like to um, to work on the to work in the front of house that scales it down like those online ordering apps those yeah. um, those screens at McDonald's. Yeah. What they essentially do is they, they just send the order t- directly to the kitchen and you don't need to have a second person or a second cashier in line or an additional cashier to have um, to take orders and whatnot. So it's it's as you said, it's it's getting there and we're getting there. It's getting close. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think I mean, especially with like 2020 and like the pandemic going on there, I've seen a lot of small businesses too, like 
boba shops that I go to, they have that too, where you can just self-order on a tablet and they just bring out the drink whenever, you know, it's done. And I see like there's a huge benefit to it just so that, you know, it's like more sanitary, I guess. And like, but it does create this kind of like isolation factor and you're like more detached from the company because <laughs> there's no interaction. But then again, like you're also, I'm, I'm sure these boba shops that have that too or whatever business, like they only have one or two employees now versus like the three or four they probably had during a shift, like one person at the front and then like back end people working. And yeah, like it's kind of sad to think about. Like I was thinking about, wow, this is so efficient. Like I don't have to talk to anyone. I could just like enter in my order myself. But then I don't think I was considering like the fact that someone probably lost their job or got, you know, limited hours just because they didn't need someone at the register anymore or like didn't need someone working in front of store. Um, yeah, because yeah, it, it, it streamlines everything. Yeah. But what on a business level, if you're like a hiring manager or if you're a a C-level exec that is overseeing this, what would you rather have? Like, if you're, like, if you live in a high-wage area, high-minimum-wage area, what would you rather have? A computer algorithm or, like, a screen where it's a licensed fixed cost of, like, 15K a year, or, like, not 15K, probably about, like, 5K a year per license? Or would you rather have an employee who's hourly and that isn't, 100% 100% accurate of the time, mm-hmm. maybe calls out sick. Um, yeah, and it, like the performance would be would be variable. It would be fluctuated to where it's almost unpredictable. Mm-hmm. What would you rather have? Something something that's accurate almost 100% of the time or would you rather hire that employee? <laughs> like, that's a, it's an ethical question. Yeah, it's like a moral and ethical question you have as a hiring manager. Yeah, it's definitely... You have to consider like where we're going because I think, especially because business... And I think technology do there. There's like this like stigma behind it if you're not from the industry or maybe even if you're in it because you know it. But like being very cold and like not caring about like the human being on the other end that's doing and putting in their share of work. And I think even if this continues to go this direction, where like you know, like these um, these jobs that are like very easily. Re- able to be replaced by technology start happening i hope there's some sort of like i don't know training or something that can be done on the business end where they're like they're not just getting rid of their employees and it's more of a like we'll train you to take care of the machines so that you don't have to do like the front end work but you can kind of you know like you mentioned do the back end where it's like an engineer or someone would be hired like a store manager would be hired to kind of like work on these machines or you know like making sure that they run smoothly so i hope like on the business end if you know they can not let go of all their employees but somehow still incorporate them in this transition because i think the the direction that it's heading is clearly really amazing though because i feel like now we can be more efficient with our work there's less you know like problems or like errors that could be done especially when it comes to certain jobs but then it's not gonna be worth it if everyone's unemployed and no one has some sort of income and you know like we're just kind of i yeah that's i just wanted to put that out there (laughs) (laughs) yeah because like as um we just mentioned though like the technology does exist um it's not ubiquitous yet that's like the key part it's not a hundred percent ubiquitous like if you go to like probably the small um remote towns in the midwest those even the flyover states, it's still 
you wouldn't get those screens. You wouldn't get those online ordering options. You may um, because the wages are low, but they don't really have the switch yet. But yeah. we see them here. Yeah. And um, that brings me into another company that I interviewed for. Um, it's a company called Soul Machines. And what they are... So, like, right now, where we are with artificial intelligence, we kind of have that... Ba we're kind of in that gray area between narrow, narrow AI and mm -hmm. artificial general intelligence. Do you happen to know the difference between both of them? Let's say I don't. Because <laughs> I probably don't. <laughs> Yeah, like I could give a high level overview of what those of what the differences yeah. are. So like a narrow AI is something more of like it's more of like it does one action and one action only specifically towards you as a consumer or like towards not oh, I see. Yeah, not just the consumer but more of the user base itself. Right. And you've seen this before. Like you've seen this on if you hop onto YouTube, you get that recommended videos. Right. Or you hop onto Netflix, that's um you get those recommended uh, movies to watch because of your prior watch history that's all machine learning that's all that's all artificial intelligence right then and there um you could even say that alexa that you have in your house or that google that google dot that you have in your house that's that's what they're called right yeah i just have yeah. it yeah it's a, yeah essentially. <laughs> <laughs> yeah the um those are all forms of narrow ai um even like mm -hmm. sending out something as basic as an email um to get that email from one computer to another that's AI, that's a form of AI, but then artificial general intelligence kind of takes that to a step further to where it's not just tied down to one specific task. It could be it could be open-ended to doing anything that you ask it to do. That's why it's, we're kind of in a gray area, but what Soul Machines does, and they wanted me to, they wanted to hire me as a BDR or an SDR actually, and they wanted me to bring this into into um into enterprise level into enterprise level companies and what they do is essentially at a high level um i don't know if you're able to demo the product um or if you ever had a chance to demo it in the past mm -hmm. but it's almost like a virtual sales agent or a virtual sale customer service agent to where it's like the technology behind it is, and the algorithm behind it it i believe the name of it is called human os human operating system and i think wow. the technology comes in from ibm but oh yeah I, th I think that's where it comes from um from what i remember and when i was um when i was looking over it it's essentially what it is is it it's a virtual sales agent it um like it's supposed to work concurrently with um with with employees in the workspace because when i when i demoed the product like it's it, it still feels like you're talking to a machine but it's like mm -hmm. legit like you could have that in place as a sales rep and to work concurrently with other human with other employees as well but mm -hmm. it's like the first step to becoming and progressing through that artificial general intelligence stage of ai which is what we're moving into i see oh god yeah <laughs> it's so complicated yeah like <laughs> When I was looking at it too, I was like, I was like, wait, this is like, you guys have something great on your hands, like business strategy wise, that is excellent. I think they said they were like, um, they're in multiple um, companies all over the world. And I don't blame them because the technology is like, it's, it's, it replaces the need for a sales rep. Yeah. Yeah. Like it, or it doesn't re exactly replace it. it. It right now where they are. 
is to work concurrently or to work co in coexistence with um, with real sales reps on the floor or like working with sales reps overall or that customer sales rep or that um, I think they also said they do they have like numerous use cases for them but it's to work concurrently but then it's almost like the foundation of what they could use and the computing power of what they could do in the future and in the future what you could probably do with this because it's just the foundation right now, if you could perfect it well enough, if you could perfect that computing power, you could probably move it towards to where you don't need to have a real employee there in the work in the in the storefront or in the retail space. You would just have an AI algorithm do it for you. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like I've been thinking about that, too, just because like I work in a retail space doing marketing but then also the sales side like as a hospitality rep selling these products to people who come into the store i can definitely see that happening where like an ai system whether that be like a physical robot or just like some sort of other form come in and take that part of the job away just because like being able like as a sales rep you probably need to know how to you know like you know and you need to know everything about a product or service or whatever's going on in the business but a robot can easily be able to state those facts or, you know, like an AI system or the algorithm can easily be able to help the customer and pretty much convince them to purchase or, you know, to, you know, make a transaction with you probably easier than what a human would do. Because I've come across this problem where, like, you know, a customer will ask about a product and I'm like, shit, I don't remember <laughs> everything about it. So I'll, I'll like be like, oh, let me, you know, tell you the general things. And so I can definitely see it becoming a more streamlined system if, you know, technology advanced to the point where, like, we don't need to have sales rep people. But I do think there's, like, that human aspect of people connecting and hearing your voice, your story. And, you know, like, there's always, like, oh, how, well, how do you feel about the product? Have you used it? I don't think a robot or an AI system could be, like, yeah, I love it. <laughs> like, you know? So I think there's, like, different aspects to, like, how... Like, it probably depends on which industry and whatever. Like, I work in wellness and health and skincare. I don't see... <laughs> I think people like to interact with a human being and get their opinion about certain things. But I, I can imagine in a lot of other industries where this kind of technology being used to replace salespeople. Because it's just... It, it seems very, like, efficient. Mm -hmm. And there will be no room for error if that did happen. So it's sad to think about <laughs> but you know i like before we hop into the other thing like i just wanted to say like i also see a huge benefit in this kind of growth just because it'll motivate people to kind of like because when you think about wow okay what do i want to do with my life or like you know like uh, should i go to college should i not or you know pursue higher education like this is d definitely something to consider and have as like a driving driving motivator as like you want to be on the other end where, you know, technology doesn't take your job, but you're creating technology to help society grow overall. So I would like, I always just, I'm like always pushing for higher education. If you have resources and access to it, just because like you don't want to be in a position where, you know, you currently have a job, but then at the end of, let's say this decade, you know, your job was replaced by technology. Like you should try to have some sort of like some sort of education or something where, you know, your job is more of like a safety net yeah like a safety net exactly so that's what i i just wanted to say like i i actually do like the idea of technology growing to the point where you know 
it's taking away those like manual labor jobs that you know not necessarily like I know it's like a lot of blue collar stuff too and it gets very political at times like people are losing their jobs but if there's a way where businesses before kind of just like kicking people out can help them get higher education or get training in you know how to manage the technology then I feel like there's more of an ethical nice way to transition into a more innovative technology-based society if it's done correctly and not like in a very scammy like sleazy way (laughs) if that makes Mm -hmm. sense but I just wanted to put that out there (laughs) yeah because like when I was doing research into this about the future of AI um like as what um the Google founder once said I think his name was um Sergey Brin like there's Mm -hmm. no limit on how I think he said something like there's no limit along on how far we can innovate there's no ceiling like yeah like it's it's open-ended if you have computing power if you have that scalability if you have that the bandwidth to do it absolutely like the sky is the absolute limit but then mm-hmm. if you go too far if you um if you go wait if you go a little bit too far with it it's like or not too far but if you grow exponentially to the point where there's no replacement for these jobs that you have in place is that really the right move to make right or yeah or is it wrong like what would you rather do yeah it's like i i feel like the technology the ideas they're great and we need them but i think if we can figure out a way to do it in a timely manner where there's enough time to get people going with the change because i just i feel like there's a lot of people who you know just reject change and don't want that much advancement in technology once it's there they'll be like oh this is really cool and i like it and it's making my life easier but to get people's mindset to change whether that be like hey you know like let's get you ready to purchase this item but also kind of if you were if your job was to get replaced let's make sure you're ready to be in this society when it when it's gonna be time I think that's something to always consider. Like, if you released, like, the most high-tech, ener- um, like, energy-efficient or, like, technology-based item right now and society's not ready for it, to understand it and, like, support it, I feel like it's going to be a huge hit on that company, that business, or, like, just on the people, too, that it's going to take advantage of. So I feel like it, there needs to be some sort of gradual thing. So I like how you said, like, the exponentially, like, how are you growing or releasing this and yeah (laughs) there's just like a lot to consider (laughs) yeah yeah like but um like when you were talking about how it could get rejected like society would reject it you see and from like you could launch like the greatest technology advancement of its time but would would society acknowledge it and accept it and you saw this happen before and you've heard that Mm -hmm. saying probably before with technology oh it was too ahead of its time yeah you saw this happen before and you probably already know what product I'm thinking of. I, uh, I don't know. I was thinking about Tesla <laughs> and like how, you know, like if it wasn't really like how Elon Musk like released it around a time when a lot of people were considering global impacts and everything like that's what really launched it. I don't think if he was doing this back in the day, like I don't think it would have done well. Like when before people were thinking more about their footprint, you know? Yeah, because the scalability wasn't there and the right. technology itself wasn't there that computing power and the battery technology that they have for tesla wasn't there if they were to launch it like like 10 15 years ago like tesla's relatively new but yeah one of the products that i was thinking of and you i think they have um it's still around 
but it didn't become as ubiquitous as what people thought. And that was Google mm. Glass. Oh. Those, yeah, those Google Glasses that people would wear around and it would be like an augmented form of reality oh, that you'd wear on top of yeah. your glasses. Oh, I forgot yeah. about that. <laughs> yeah, that launched in like 2015, yeah. I think it was, 2014. Yeah, and like what happened was like society didn't grasp it because from what I've seen and what I've, um, and from my understanding and from the reason why it failed is because of security um, issues and people didn't want to buy it because of privacy. Yeah. Um, like that was like one of the main mm-hmm. grasp. Um, that was one of the main things that that consumers couldn't grasp was the was the privacy um, issue behind it. But like, and that kind of brings me into like um, that kind of brought up like a good point about like if you launch too early mm-hmm. what you need to have like i remember learning about this in school it's like you always have to have like competition you always have to look at your mm-hmm. competition um but then there's other things other variables that you have to consider it's almost like a status quo or like an equilibrium point of where technology mm-hmm. could be and where we are as a as a society could be like a status quo or an equilibrium point so you have like your competition like what is the competitive landscape like how if you're com- if you're competitive land within your competitive landscape, if your mar- and like if your competitors at least have like a fifty percent market share, is it really worth launching if there's another product that does fifty percent of the same service as you do? Right. Like, would you st- yeah would you still launch if um if you have that if you if you have a competitor that closely relates to what you could do? It it depends on the decision making and depends on how you could forecast that and calculate all the numbers. But another variable that I'd, um that could probably be brought up is um, besides competition is the infrastructure. Does the surrounding infrastructure support the service or product that you want to launch? Mm. Like, is the computing power there? Is the, uh, yeah, like, is the computing power there? Is the coding there? Is, um, does, is the laws and regulations that your, that your country has, as what you saw with the Google Glass, like, the privacy issue behind that, is it really supported? And the third variable that I would like to think of is more of like the technology aspect behind it, how technical your user base is. Like if you were to launch a product or a service and it requires like some kind of technical, requires the users to have a technical Mm -hmm. background. Is it like how much of the, how much of the uh, market could you actually encapsulate with that? So if you don't have, if you launch like the greatest product or greatest service, but you need to have like some kind of knowledge base of coding or anything like that, you really slim down on who your target audience mm-hmm. could be if they don't have that technical aspect. And you really niche it out on who it could be in comparison to what it and comparison to what it could actually be. Right. So like, yeah, like and if you launch, like if you launch with all of those considered more or less, you'll have you have more, um, depending on the industry. Um, depends on the industry itself but with all th- all things considered if you have those in place if you launch to if you launch way ahead of its time the product in, or technology way too ahead of its time you're not going to have anyone buying it because it's like the infrastructure doesn't and the surrounding infrastructure doesn't support it or the computing power that you have on your computer doesn't support it because it's way too powerful to run on your laptop yeah. or it'd be way too yeah like the as like a technical user you would and as a non-technical user would you be able to still use it if it requires some degree of coding or if you have a competition if you have a um a, com- a competitor there what is um would you rather go with um with 
your product or, or the competitor's right. product. So it's like with those things considered, you have to meet them right in the middle. And then it could essentially take off with the target user base that you have. And if you launch too late, of course, you always have, you're always, you're going to have somebody there that does the same exact service for you. The product would be outdated. Right. And I think like, just to add to that too, I think one thing that at least from my USF business classes and just also in marketing, like they're always saying like, you need to know and understand the society and what its needs are. Like if you're releasing something that's already been done, like what would like differentiate it? But then it's like, always you should consider like what problem are you solving and hoping to solve? So I think that plays a huge role into like, I don't know, I for like, I know you just mentioned the Google uh, glasses and stuff, but like what, I don't understand necessarily like what problem they were trying to solve. I think it was a little too ahead of its time. Maybe around now, if they had released it, people would be kind of more down, especially during the pandemic. That would have been kind of cool to look, like have as a cool feature. But I think you, at least for companies, like that's one major thing that I learned was like, if you're releasing something before it's even needed, then there's no it's not going to be successful because people don't even want to consider it at the moment unless it's going to, you know, like help improve their daily lives or it's going to be entertaining in the moment. So I think that's always something important to consider, too, as a factor. Like, what problem are you solving? And does society even need this mm -hmm. right now? <laughs> yeah, like, is it a problem now or is it a problem right. in the future? As the same thing with is technology will that be a problem to people's right, jobs? Right, right. And I think there's so many factors always, but yeah, that's awesome. Mm -hmm. um, okay, we spent a lot of time talking about problems. Um, <laughs> did you want to kind of go into, um, I know you really already kind of talked about some examples of startups and stuff like that, but did you want to go more into depth about examples that you have working with startups that kind of we as listeners should be aware of that's kind of going on behind the scenes? Like if you're not in the tech industry, you probably won't know about. Yeah, um, like besides those two, like those two that I brought up about automated yeah. cold calling, um, and building an AGI artificial and artificial gel and an AI algorithm focused around artificial general intelligence, probably say those are like your biggest foundations right there of technology of the future of what you should be aware of, because mm -hmm. those specifically like those could disrupt every and that could disrupt almost not disrupt but it could really change the landscape it could right. um yeah it could really change like it doesn't really have to tie down to um down to the sales reps itself like it doesn't really have to tie down to like the sales type role itself if you could perfect that idea of conversation it could go a f it could really go a long ways of work of of how it could work within the workspace like anything that anything that includes any kind of form of any kind of form of conversation it's it will be easily it will it could you could use an ai algorithm to replace it mm -hmm. and like it's definitely those two i'd say there's going to be a lot more like um when i was when i was looking into um into the stages of artificial intelligence of where we are with narrow ai and starting out with artificial general intelligence like i was looking at at maybe the at, um at the future growth on what's next after agi you get um you, pro you may have heard of the stage. It's um, after AGI, after artificial general intelligence, you might have heard of artificial super intelligence. So, what, yeah, and what you have is like nano, like nanotechnology. And that could even could be considered within AGI itself. But, na but nanotechnology and the possibilities behind that 
And I don't know if the, this was kind of more like a footnote in the news articles um, in its time and when Google Glass came out, but there was also something called a smart contact that was being built. So like you could have like a contact lens with a nano chip in it, so you could see augmented. You could have like a form of augmented reality in oh. your vision that you see around you. So like it would have like a heads-up display on your con in your contact lens, so you could have like you'd be working directly with. Um, you'd be working in synthesis with, uh, with technology itself. But then when I was looking into it, there's these startups there that are looking onto um, using nanotechnology to work concurrently with, with your, um, this sounds like pretty much out of its world, but it's like, yeah. and it, it seems way too ahead of its time. And it, it is like, it's not, they're still building this out, but it's to implement like, it's to implement chips into like your brain or into parts of your body so like Ooh. yeah so like your your thought process could be um so your so your human-like thinking process could also be um tied into as something as similar as like a google search algorithm so you could have that knowledge right then and there mm -hmm. if you run into something that you don't know Ugh. so it helps with the decision making process yeah so it can uh, help speed it up i don't yeah, know if i like that because <laughs> <laughs> like i'm just thinking about it like things that make people unique are knowing certain things and your knowledge but if you just have like a chip that can like automatically kind of give you insight as on things that people actually took the time to know like i i don't know how i feel about that it's it's a also just inserting that chip like whoa i don't want to put something like that into my body because guess what it, it kind of already exists ah, yeah <laughs> there's these um i believe it's in europe uh. Europe. They have, um, <laughs> yeah, I, I, um, speaking of Europe, though, just yeah. as a side note, so you may have heard of that country, Estonia. Mm, maybe. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they're like in Northern Europe. So they're actually building out what's called an e-residency or an e, or like a, um, a cloud-based economy. So they're putting the entire, an entire country in the cloud. Oh. So you could do like banking. Yeah, you could do like banking, run a business, and you could do it for like a hundred bucks. You could be, you could be a part of this and they'll give you this card and you can access this e-economy this this cloud oh. economy and it's i recommend checking it out like um they it's a relatively what new is it called? thing a new concept i think they start um e-residency of estonia okay. whoa this is getting so yeah. virtual like even when we were i don't know what we were talking about but i was just thinking about like like this is this sounds like a black mirror episode you know where like how advanced technology is getting where it's gonna you're gonna start forming new countries online and wow <laughs> I, I, I hate to break it to you but you know did you watch that um did you watch that episode of black mirror where they had a social s score system um oh that's social no points? i haven't seen that one but i i've seen like trailers and stuff for it i haven't like watched all the episodes yet but yes i know which one you're talking about so guess what? China is already implementing that in a social uh, school system. No, China, no. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, they are, yeah. And if you if your if your score f falls below a certain level, supposedly you can look mm -hmm. this up too. Um, that you that YouTube channel, Real Life Lore, they created a whole video uh -huh. about this, of how it's gonna work, and it's piloted right now. Like I think in three cities, I think it's Guangzhou, Shanghai, and mm -hmm. Beijing. The pilot system is in place, and they all and it's all by using facial by using facial recognition and that's how it's all being tracked either by facial recognition or by your phone um by your by any kind of smart technology yeah. that you have but if you fall below like a certain 
score, you can't leave, like, your country, and not your country, but you can't leave the province that you live in. You can't, yeah, you can't, you, you can only stay within the area that you are until you raise your social, your social score. And by do, and by raising it, and by lowering it, the, um, the way that you could lower it is, like, if you don't visit, it could be something as simple as, like, you don't visit your grandparents every day. You don't, um, yeah, you play too much video games, you play, it's absolutely ridiculous on how that works, like, it's all explained in that real life lore video, and then you could raise your score by, like, posting on, like, social Uh. media or something about, like, how good China is, um, like, yeah, like, it's, it's, (laughs) yeah, it's absolutely insane. Dude, okay, (laughs) wait, 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 so, um, I, so I didn't see that Black Mirror episode, but. I used to watch a show called Community, and I don't know if, like, you know it, but it used to, it, it's been done for a while now, but they did this episode, too, where, like, at a community college, like, you would have a social media app that ranks all the students, and, like, the people, it just creates a hierarchy system where, like, the people at the top are getting all the benefits, and then, like, you know, the people who have, like, low ratings that don't have that many friends or aren't as popular get, like, you know, nothing. And I feel like, like, this sounds very similar to it, especially, like, who's setting the standards for who should be, like, ranked higher or given more, you know, like, points or whatever? Because if you consider it, like, like, I'm just thinking about people who have disabilities or, like, certain, like, medical conditions. Like, how would you bring them into all of this, too? Like, oh, you can't visit your grandma. Like, what if you're in a pandemic and you can't visit anyone like what like who's considering all these factors and like oh my gosh like i'm not gonna go into depth about this until like i know more information but dang i didn't know this was happening like i thought there was so many different tv shows and like um books and articles about like why we should not judge and rank people that we don't know i mean we do that like i know we do that in our society too like the example that I can just think of is like Uber and like how people can rank you and then you can rank drivers and stuff like that. But that's like very niche. Like that's if you need a ride or go somewhere. But thinking about it from like a societal thing, like if I get ranked lower than you, Justin, in a job interview, <laughs> would they pick you over me just because I didn't visit my grandma? Like, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> that's, it's just weird to think about. But dang. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, 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 like it's like you can't i remember seeing one of the comments and it was like you can't change you could change a person's actions and um you could change a person's actions but you could never change a person's thoughts mm. mm-hmm. yeah like yeah it's it just sounds like a distant utopia but it's like or like a it doesn't even sound real like a virtual reality but it's real and they're implementing that and they want to implement that i think they already did yeah. They wanted to implement in 2019, but they already have the pilot program going, and it's like, it's absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah, and it's like, you should check it out if you have the time. <sighs> I feel like it's going to be a new way to, like, cause more, like, social hierarchy and, like, uh, discrimination. But, like, okay, with that, too, and just, like, how technology is going, do you think... Hold on, I just lost my train of thought. <laughs> but, like, <laughs> do you think we'll get to the point where... Never mind. I'll come back to it. I'll come back to it when I think about it clearly. But, um, yeah, no, that's crazy to think about that. Like, we might actually come to that point in society where, like, people are ranking everyone. And, like, just because I, I feel like that does, it's going to, that's going to impact our world so much. People getting jobs, getting 
into school like we already have so much judging in our society that i don't think we need more of it <laughs> but, not at a government level at yeah least. <laughs> <laughs> like what if you did a like what if you were in jail or or imprisoned or you know for a minor offense like how would that affect your score because like a huge thing that i was looking into like while you know in school and stuff was kind of like recidivism and like how and why people are in prison for like minor offenses like things like the use of marijuana and how you know it was illegal now it's not so like why are they still in prison and stuff like that so how would you even like incorporate that like previous felons into a society that's being judged for like small things like not visiting your relatives and stuff like that you know <laughs> like would they be even on that same scoring system i oh, ah, so much to think about <laughs> <laughs> anyways i want to move on just because like i don't want to spend too much time on that um but did you want to kind of go over like some like political aspects i know we just kind of like tied in politics to this kind of how are you seeing how this technology is growing and how is it going to play a role in your in lifestyles when it comes to i know like we have different topics here like in immigration like how do you think it's going to play a role and yeah let's start with there yeah like um like political wise though on a on a broad spectrum Mm -hmm. like um i think you might have seen like um andrew yang's campaign for universal basic income yeah 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 ubi yeah and that's what that whole that's what that concept is to aim towards of automation within the workforce and the way that he wanted to do it was by um like if you're if you're um if your company for example has like a certain percentage of um of the workflow that's automated like it would be based off the percent you're you'd be taxed you'd have this um, automation tax to where it'd be based off on how much of the workflow is automated so like if um like if you have like an 80 percent automation rate within your company you'd have a you would have a higher tax rate you'd be taxed higher and that money would be going back into um into society who are like who got displaced by automate by automating jobs i like that (laughs) yeah like but i it when when you look at it it kind of like it's good but it only goes about 50 percent of the way there like, because it almost, like, how would I say it? it? It solves the problem, but it doesn't solve it entirely. It's almost like putting, like, if you have, like, a crack on the cement, it's like putting um, that black tar to cover it, and it doesn't exactly blend into the cement color. I see, yeah. It, it, yeah, it's, it covers the crack, but it's, like, it's not, like, it doesn't look well. It doesn't blend in together. Or if you have, like, a... If you have like a um, like a hole in the wall or something, you put a band aid over it. It it solves it, but it doesn't solve it entirely. And my solution would be to essentially it would be to start early, to start coding early, move, start the curriculum as early as you can. Mm. As counterintuitive as the problem is, I'd rather have society innovate further than going backwards or stagnating it. So you start as early as you can to where you have at least like the tail end of Gen Z coming out of uh, middle school or high school to at least have some form, of te- some form of a technical background when they're ready so it could be used as a safety net there. When, not if, but when automation starts to replace entry-level jobs. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. Like, it's, it's just, like, it's, yeah, just start as early as possible. Of course, you're going to get that outcast of, like, possibly myself. Mm-hmm. Because, like, do I know how to code? Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, do you? Uh, I would... <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, I know at USS they make you take at least, like, if you're a business student, they make you take Python, um, which I yeah, they, they call take. it. But, um, no, I, I, I totally second what you're saying, which is super funny because I am someone who doesn't like to code and I'm so against it. Like, for the longest time, I was just like, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to try to re- retain this information. It's not worth it. But it's, like, so important, especially if you live in the Bay Area, in the Silicon Valley. Like, if you don't have any sort of technology or like coding background it's so hard to get like a good job i'm a marketing person we don't really need to know how to code but to land that interview i needed that so i like i know how to code very beginning level for python html css javascript uh i think there's one other one but like i know like the basics of each of the little ones just so that if i'm in an industry that i'm working with like tech I, I can hold myself up and kind of know the standard of what they're doing. Like, even as an engineer, like, you you probably need to know how to do it. I probably don't. But it's important for me to even have that background as a safety net, like Justin mentioned. So, yeah. Yeah, like, um, like politically, like, people talk about how, um, like, the problems of who is going to be taking jobs. Like, I think Trump said it was, like, the immigrants. But yeah. that's not true. Like, yeah. he even ran multiple ad campaigns on that from his his twitter campaign about like mm-hmm. i believe one of the lines was like and this is absolutely ridiculous like twitter ripped him up for it it was like um you'll be competing in the job market alongside an illegal immigrant it's like no that's that's horseshit yeah. like the the bigger problem that you have here is you're going to be competing with an ai algorithm in place mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You, you, yeah you'll be competing with a computer you won't be competing with anyone else except that yeah <laughs> there's so much we could go into about like that whole like you know I- immigrants taking people's jobs and everything but it's honestly it is just technology that's going to take over and i think that should be the focus of what you know people think about when losing their jobs or you know thinking about the future of job security so yeah no that's great that you brought that up um uh there was another topic that I feel like I wanted to oh yeah like can you can you talk a little bit about um the idea and the negative effects of increasing minimum wage especially nationwide probably I feel like that would have like way more um severe impacts because I think that's one of the arguments or one of the um positions that the democratic candidates um the president-elect Joe Biden and then Kamala Harris our VP um brought up was like to have a $15 minimum wage across the nation. So do you want to kind of give your ideas or thoughts on what that could be like from a tech perspective? Yeah, this might, yeah, like this, my opinion on it is pretty controversial. Like I might get canceled. Um, I might be part of the cancel culture. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, I remember when we were talking about it too, I was kind of like, oh, Justin, why don't you like it? But then I, I see your point. So yeah, no, definitely explain it. Yeah. Cause um, like, as, as I mentioned earlier, too, like, um, like on paper, rising the minimum wage to $15 an hour, that looks good. Yeah. Like, of course, you're going to have, like, a higher standard of living. You're going to have um, people who can afford housing. 
Yeah. You're going to have, yeah, you're going to have um, people who could actually afford to live in the area that they work. But that's not entirely true. And here's why. And we've seen this in San Francisco. We've seen this in major city centers around the U.S. and let alone the world where the standards of living is extremely high. Yeah. If you raise the minimum wage, what's most, what will, what will happen as a business owner, because they have to cut, not exactly cut corners, but save money as much as possible. And the big, the biggest expense from my prior experience of working in summer jobs and working for family and businesses throughout the summer and whatnot, the two biggest expenses that, that business owners have, especially if you're owning like a restaurant or if you're owning like, um, if you run like a family owned small little store shop, um, especially from what I've seen on that, um, on that show kitchen nightmares where where those restaurants are family owned yeah the two biggest yeah the two biggest expenses that they have is the lease like the rent that they have Mm -hmm. where they're renting out the property that they own and also employee wages Mm -hmm. so what what they want to try to do as an employee owner is to try to save as much money as possible yeah or to try to be as efficient as possible in um in within their within their expenditures that they have so if you raise the minimum wage up if you go 15 or whatnot from like the i think the federal one was like seven mm-hmm. seven dollars an hour i think it is or eight mm-hmm. but um if you raise that minimum wage in general and we've seen this happen before is those jobs are going to get automated yeah like you've seen it with that mcdonald's screens like i think um like even before the one that I have in my house here in Santa Clara, like relatively in comparison to San Francisco, like the cost of living in San Francisco is like the minimum wage. I think how much is the minimum wage? There? It's like like fifteen fifty right? or something. Yeah. Yeah. The um, I believe it was the McDonald's at Stonehenge Mall. Mm-hmm. Stone in Stonestown. There you go. Stonestown Mall. Yeah. They um they implemented those screens in, and a lot of those family owned not family-owned um, businesses, but those family-owned restaurants, everything is online order. And they included, like, an option for online ordering through directly through their website or having an app that mm-hmm. helps scale the need to not have, a, to have, a, like, an extra cashier there. Yeah. So those jobs that where it costs to have, like, an employee in would be replaced by a fixed cost of a light, or a fixed licensing cost of having something straight, um, of having something non-static, yeah. And having something to where it costs less than hiring an overall employee. So mm-hmm. what I support it, it looks great. But from a business owner's perspective, that's kind of a nightmare to have because it's going to it's the costs are going to shoot through the roof, especially if you're in a if, especially if you're a family owned business or a family owned restaurant. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, when you clarified last time too, I kind of understood your perspective too. Cause like, I think, especially as like, you know, politicians too, who do care, like they want to make sure that everyone has financial security to moving forward, especially after the pandemic. But I think there needs to be some sort of like more thought put into whether or not that would be a good move. And, you know, like, like you mentioned, um, what was it like one of the candidates was talking about like the uh universal basic income yeah yeah the income and how you know like some companies if they are automated like they would be taxed more and like that'll come back to help like the like the people who did lose their jobs and stuff like i like that implementation like if you could work that alongside the minimum wage or there needs to be some overall arching thing that's there to support 
the humans behind everything that are going to be struggling during this transition into kind of like a more tech industry. But yeah, no, I, I kind of understand where you're coming from in terms of that. Please don't cancel Justin. It's his opinion. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. And that's why, I full, that's why I wholeheartedly support some form of universal basic income. Yeah. Like it gives a, it gives a safety net in case that happens. Like, right. In case if you get outcasted, if you get outcasted in the job market because, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because of automation, at least you have some sort of safety net that will help you. Yeah, and you have the sort, and you have, like Andrew Yang has explained, explained it perfectly of how you could source, how you could get of where you could um, source that the money from. You could get it from taxation from companies that are using a high amount of automation in the workforce. Right. Use it to. Yeah, use it as a safety net for the people who get outcasted in the job market. Mm-hmm. Yeah, awesome. Thank you for kind of explaining that too. And I just want to um, go into like the last part of this. We're wrapping up. Um, any advice that you have for those listening? I know you mentioned like, oh, you should try to code as soon as possible and all of that. Um, if you want to like touch on that again, but any other pieces of advice for those listening, entering this en- industry, the tech industry, or just like even in school, we're considering moving to the Silicon Valley, pursuing this or, you know, like anything. Yeah. Like, um, especially if you want to work in the tech industry, like from what I've experienced and what I have in my career so far, um, especially if you're still a student at, um, if you're still a college student at at least like take the coding classes seriously, like not even seriously, <laughs> get additional ones, like take additional courses, maybe even minor in computer science yeah. to where you could have the technical background there and you know how to code. Like that at least gives you an advantage in the job market as well. Well, not for right now because of COVID, of course, the yeah. economy's down the drain kind of ish, but it's like at least get a technical background, at least have like a technical background there and if you're out of college like take online courses take those take those courses of learning how to code it's going to be dry but i recommend it like that's from my opinion to to the people listening get try to get as much not much but do it gradually to where Mm -hmm. at least if your job does become obsolete in the future like it might be like a 10 5 10 15 20 year um time frame down the road at least you have some kind of technical capabilities there where you'd be sitting behind a computer screen doing the job that you're supposed to be doing. Right. And if, or the job that kind of, um, that made, made your position obsolete. And if, um, and another one too, is like, as I mentioned before too, was to start early, um, start those, change up the curriculum a little bit and not even change up the curriculum, but just start as early as you can. Um, elementary school, middle school, if, I don't know if you went um, in back in San Francisco. There was that um, there was that place on I forgot the name of it. It's like Code Academy, I think it is. Oh yeah. Right next to um, it's on it's on Geary and it's at the corner of Geary and um, and Park Presidio. There's that um, there's that code there's that um, that after school tutoring program yeah. for coding. And I remember, like, I passed by there all the time because I was, like, where my apartment was-ish, where I'd get lunch in that area. Mm-hmm. I see, like, kids in there and, like, elementary, middle school kids and yeah. follow that path of getting started as early as you can because what you could probably get as a solution is 
you'd have technology working with you um, as a as a coexisting as a coexisting variable, mm-hmm. not to where it's making your life and your job and your career obsolete. Mm-hmm. Yeah, awesome. Um, I second everything you said. Definitely, please get into coding. Look into the industry, kind of see what you're doing, and I mean try to change with time and don't try to like resist it because I feel like resisting it will kind of hinder the success of society and yourself if you you know are just like no I don't want a new smartphone that's gonna do this and that or whatever like you never know where it can lead our society and it could lead to good things and my other thing was gonna say like make sure you're looking at it from like a whole perspective like why is this technology important and who is it going to benefit because if it's just going to benefit you know the super rich or like the business owners then maybe don't support it but like if it's going to help society like us the people move forward you know then i think it's worth it so please do your own research too i just want to like wrap up uh thank you justin for being here you know this was a lot of information and it was really helpful and really different from a lot of my other podcast episodes um there was a lot of stuff that justin probably mentioned that you know like a lot of you might not understand so i'm gonna link a lot of key terms and like notes into the section in the bio so please check that out but yeah thanks again justin for being on i really appreciate it um yeah and i love talking about this topic it's it's very interesting to think about where society could go the technology could go with society in the next in the short run and long term itself yeah yeah definitely yeah thank you again for being on come back anytime if you want to talk about technology because this was really cool um (laughs) yeah so thanks everyone for listening until next time bye bye